Grab your green sheet. It's got the hymn on it for the second Sunday in Advent. We're going to be using The Day is Surely Drawing Near. Uh, before we just delve in, uh, we're dealing with the season of Advent. Uh, our Advent banner, Advent, the coming of Christ. And then over there it says Advent, and it has three lines. Incarnate, that would be in the flesh, is coming uh, as, a, as a man. His coming in grace, that would be through the word and sacraments. And third, his coming in glory, that would be the second coming. Advent works all three of these together. And so even, even when we try to divide them up, we find that they are uh, can't. <laughs> so last Sunday, first Sunday in Advent, we have Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Yes, here is a uh, God in human flesh. We might say is coming in incarnate to us. Uh, the emphasis, though, quite clearly, as you pull together the other readings with it, is that he is the promised one. He is the one whom all the Old Testament has said, and now here he is. Zechariah said he would be a king, he would be riding on a donkey, he would be coming into Jerusalem, he's coming to you, and here he is, coming to us. Second Sunday in Advent. Second Sunday has a, well, his second coming is kind of the theme. It foretells about how he will come in glory. You'll see the coming of the Son of Man uh, on a cloud. That is the, uh, the means by which he comes to us with the, with the second coming. Um, and yet in each one of these, this first coming into Jerusalem, we talk about his coming to us, word and sacrament, even now, as we're going to get to the second coming, without his coming to us in word and sacrament, we couldn't respond properly to his coming in glory. So, if the theme last time was about the prophecy fulfilled as the promised one, the theme for this coming Sunday is the one who comes again in glory, we ought to look forward to it. We ought to rejoice in it. That's what the emphasis is, that we um, uh, say to him, come, Lord Jesus, come. All right, that introduces the hymn for tonight. Um, this hymn, the day is surely drawing near. Um, they've appointed it for the second Sunday in Advent. I've always used it for the second to last Sunday in the church year because it deals with uh, second coming, but it, it surely fits with the gospel reading for uh, this coming Sunday. What about this? Uh, this is a hymn that was written, uh, you can see up here on the left, Bartholomeus Ringwald. Um, what did he do? Well, this is even uh, not long, you can see, 1581. Um, this is not long after uh, Luther, 1580 is the end of the Book of Concord. Uh, so this is during Reformation times. What were they doing? They were writing hymns. They were writing uh, music for the church year. Most of it was in Latin. The people, well, needed it in German. Um, he took a sequence, which is uh, similar to a gradual. Um, a gradual would be just a few short verses, as we're used to. Sometimes I'll stick in what we call a sequence hymn, a hymn in the place of that between the epistle and gospel. Well, there was uh, the Mass for the Dead. That is, the divine service if someone died. There was a sequence, a poetic... Um, it wasn't actually Psalms, it was, it was written, um, that was included there. It was long, 19 stanzas long. Think of 19 verses. 
stuck in between the epistle and, and the gospel. Um, often referred to as the Dies Irae, the day of wrath. Ooh. All right, so a Lutheran pastor took a look at this and said, you know, there's some parts of it that was really good, but the emphasis that is upon it um, is, is primarily the coming wrath. Scare the hell out of you. Maybe that's not the best. Uh, uh, um, do we need to? Yes. But primarily, the liturgy is written not for those outside, but the comfort of those inside. So when we're talking about the second coming, we're looking forward to his coming. Okay, so this hymn. The day is surely drawing near. The Lutheran hymnal had seven stanzas. Lutheran worship, four. Um, uh, Lutheran service book came out, went back to seven. This one includes all seven stanzas uh, that were there. And so brings back. What were the ones that LW had? One, two, six, and seven. So it's going to be three, four, and five that get left out. Let's walk through it. Stanza one. I'm just going to read it. It's pretty long. We're going to have to... Um, the day is surely drawing near when God's Son, the Anointed, shall with great majesty appear as judge of all appointed. So, he's been set aside. He has been appointed. Uh, the scriptures, particularly Acts, uh, uh, tell us that he was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. So, the day is coming. God's Son, the one who is the anointed Savior, is also appointed to be the judge. That day is coming. All mirth and laughter then shall cease when flames on flames will still increase as the Apostle teacheth. Um, is it Paul? Is it Peter? Who's the Apostle? Both of them talk quite clearly about this in, in the Scriptures themselves. What do they let us know? At this point, when that day comes, anything that is um, away from Christ, that type of mirth and laughter shall cease. Why? Because there is punishment for those who have turned away from Christ. Once again, the emphasis for us is we've been persecuted by unbelievers. We're looking forward to the day in which the Lord, who is the judge, provides for us salvation and punishes those who have persecuted and harmed his church. Martyr, today is a martyr day, um, the day that St. Andrew was, was killed. So we're looking forward to that day. So when it says, the day is surely coming, we don't all run away and hide. We're looking forward to it. Good. The day is coming. Yes. Um, don't think that the way things are are going to continue. Don't think that, oh, it's just going to always be this way. No. It's coming to an end. And that's good news. Stanza two. A trumpet loud shall then resound and all the earth be shaken. Then all who in their graves are found shall from their sleep awaken. Stanza 2 speaks of the trumpet call, the trumpet that um, uh, announces the end. It also speaks of the raising of the dead, of both the believers and the unbelievers, all in their grave. It also speaks of this earth and the foundations of it. Everyone thinks that is so firm. It says, no, he's going to shake the foundations and the building will collapse. But all that live shall in that hour by the Almighty's boundless power be changed at his commanding. So, the dead will be raised. Those who are still alive will be changed. Um, everyone... Uh, um, by the almighty power, 
will then, as we just finished the end of the church here, we'll all stand before the uh, judgment throne of Christ. We're talking about the sheep and the goats. Um, this particular pastor, we know that at the time that he uh, pulled this hymn and, and put it together, uh, was studying through the book of Revelation. And so he thought, ah, this would be a good opportunity to teach about the end times, the last times. Stanza three. A book is opened, uh, then to all, a record truly telling what each hath done, both great and small, when he on earth was dwelling. A book. A book is opened. Let me read a little from Revelation 20. It's Revelation 20, verse 11 to 15. Note um, that there's more than one book that is mentioned in Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, to describe another book, or the book of life, um, talked about names being written in that book. What do we know about the book of life? It's believers' names. No unbelievers have their names in it. So it's not everybody's name. It's just the believers' names that are written in that. Everyone whose name is written in the book of life is a believer and they are saved. But a little bit earlier, it talks about the books were open. Then it says another book referring to the book of life. There are these books. What about these? Well, in these are not written names. What's written in these books? Is it the Ten Commandments? <laughs> um, more than that, though. Yeah, all the works. The works are listed in there. And it says, and, and we know about this. We've talked about the sheep and the goats. Um, and again, this is, um, I would say, a good corrective for those who... Uh, um, simply try to turn Revelation into something it's not. But Matthew 25 kind of makes it quite clear. Before him are bought the sheep and the goats. What does Jesus say about the sheep? He says to them, You knew me. You knew me. I knew you. And you did all of these things to me. The works that are listed there are fed me, clothed me, visited me in prison. Great. Good works. Good things that they did. And, again, judgment day is a judgment day of works. Granted, you're saved by faith, but the works show whether you're a believer or not. The good works that they did, they are welcomed in. You're going to find those works, those good works listed in these books. What about the goats? Matthew 25, he said, I never knew you. In fact, what are the works he talked about there? Same exact ones. They did not do it. They did bad works. Right. Those are listed in the books. Well, and the, my light bulb just went off, given it's a pretty dull light bulb. But of course they say to him, when did we not see you and do all these things to you? Because all they've been thinking about is trying to live a good life to get where they want to go. So they're like, we've been working hard this whole time. <laughs> exactly. So when we get to, as it says, books opened, 
and there's going to be a record of everyone's life, are your sins going to be found in these books? They've been forgiven. They've been washed away. They have been taken out by the blood of the Lamb. And so, yes, there will be, and again, this is figurative language, but the idea is that, yeah, they're going to open the books. And what are we going to find? The believers are going to have their sins forgiven and only good things left. The unbelievers have no good works because they didn't have faith. And so this hymn is teaching us about this. Um, in fact, one of the uh, translations actually puts it in the plural, books are opened. Uh, this one says a book is open, but simply meaning when the revelation says it simply means that there's lots of people. So, you know, uh, um, you can't all do it in one big book, I guess. Um, all right. So that's what's going to be happen. Clearly, as we said, let's keep going with stanza three and every heart be clearly seen and all be known as they have been in thoughts and words and actions. So what happens? You're not saved by doing your works, but the works reveal the heart. They reveal whether there was faith. And so here it speaks of, of that which stanza three is, is, is these books. Um, let's keep going because three, four, and five are the three stanzas that are left out. When we get to stanza five, just to make note, we will talk about the book of life. But stanza four. Then woe to those who scorned the Lord and sought but carnal pleasures, who here despised his precious word and loved their earthly treasures. So it lets us know this mirth and laughter we talked about that stops is those who sought carnal pleasures. Of course, when the Lord returns, us who are taken to heaven, we will have mirth and laughter because when we were here, we had to deal with our confessing sins and with the persecution, whatever, but we'll enjoy those heavenly joys. But for those who scorned the Lord, despised his word, who clung to earthly treasures, uh, all that will cease. With shame and trembling, they will stand and at the judge's stern command to Satan be delivered. Oh, what about this uh, shame and trembling? They're going to stand before the judge, that is Jesus, and he's going to give the stern command, as it says, I never knew you. Um, to, uh, with the end of stanza three, know as they've been known. Um, now it says they're going to be delivered over to Satan. What's that? Yes. So, hell was intended for Satan. That's who it was intended for, and those evil angels that went with him. It was never intended for man. Man was created to live with God forever. But for those who reject the anointed Savior, what happens? They are delivered to be with Satan in hell. Yes, that's exactly what happens. Stanza five. It's a almost a personal confession uh, of faith, that is, um, where we have the uh, where we have the pronoun my being used. Um, maybe, maybe even a prayer, or at least speaking. O Jesus, who my debt didst pay, and for my sin was smitten, within the book of life, O may my name be also written. And so what do we have? That trust in Jesus says, yes, I pray, write my name in your book of life. Uh, for I know that all who believe have their name written there. I too uh, 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 believe. I will not doubt. I trust in thee. From Satan thou hast made me free and from all condemnation. Free from Satan. So, Satan's concern, Satan's tempting, Satan's uh, uh, stuff. No, I, I've been set free uh, from that. And so finally, the last line says, 
as Romans 8, 1-2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of Christ, Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. So stanza five, where we have three, four, and five, we have the books are written, we have stanza four concerning the unbelievers, and then stanza five, hey, I've got my name written in the book of life, I'm not going to be condemned. I'm not going to have my sins brought out. No, you uh, took away my sin. Stanza six. Therefore, my intercessor be, and for thy bloody merit, declare my name from judgment free with all who life inherit. That I may see thee face to face with all thy saints in that blessed place which thou for us hast purchased. So, we got Jesus being the intercessor we have his uh, merit by his blood taking away. Concerning judgment. Now, I've described the judgment. I've told you what it is. But here it says we're free from judgment. Because of judgment, when only our good works are left, the ones that he moved in us through faith, and all the sins forgiven is like no condemnation, no judgment at all. And so we are free from judgment and we inherit eternal life, and we know that that is for all the believers. Stanza 7. As I said, this was written soon after 1580. Um, uh, this stanza in particular was probably one that they used during the Thirty Year War um, because things got bad, and they got really bad. And when things get bad, we pray for the coming of Christ. O Jesus Christ, do not delay, but hasten your salvation. We often tremble on our way in fear and tribulation. Then hear us when we cry to thee, Come, mighty judge, and make us free from every evil. Amen. Don't delay. We want you to come. Um, one of the earliest um, Hebrew words that are, that are used in the Christian worship um, is one that's from 1 Corinthians 16.22. Um, it is the words Maranatha. You know what that means? Come, O Lord. Yep, come. And so this idea that the Lord is the one who is to come and we are crying out to him even in kind of that liturgical language uh, uh, to, to come. Um, as you can see, the theme of the, of the Sunday so clearly portrayed, even in stanza 7, where it talks about, you know, while we're here, we tremble, we have fear and tribulation, but we know it is coming. Um, and so we say, come Lord Jesus, because that is going to be our salvation. So we eagerly await uh, that coming of Christ. Questions about uh, the hymn for the second Sunday in Advent, that he is surely drawing near. All right. What now? Can we sing it? We will. Um, once we get to uh, uh, the, the service itself. Well. About 10 minutes. <laughs> We will, we will. Um, all right, we're on uh, the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. We took a look at uh, the forgive us our trespasses last time. Let's see if we can work it in. And lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? Repeat after me. God tempts no one. God tempts no one. We pray in this petition. We pray in this petition. That God would guard and keep us. That God would guard and keep us. So that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature. So that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature. May not deceive us or mislead us. May not deceive us or mislead us. Into false belief, despair, 
and other great shame and vice. And Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. We pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. All right. Luther correctly says, God tempts no one. God never tries to get us to sin. He does tempt us to do good. He is always encouraging and trying to get us to do what is right and good. Um, But there are those that do wish to lead us into sin. They tempt us. Um, What are the things that tempt us? The devil, the world, and our sinful nature. Great. So... Why do these temptations of the devil work? When the devil says, come on, let's go and take somebody else's stuff. Come, let's let's go enjoy forbidden pleasures. Why do the temptations work? My mom says it's fun. What now? My mom says it's fun. She wasn't supposed to quote me. Concupiscence. I didn't say that. Concupiscence. Oh, concupiscence. <laughs> she misunderstood me. Yes. Uh-huh. Right. Question. I know how the world tempts me, and I know my own sinful nature how it tempts me, but do we know exactly how the devil tempts us? You know, how we, he uses it. I don't even know if it's important. Right. Is it that he uses situations in the world, or, you know, because he can't read our minds. He's not all omniscient, he's not all present, he's not like God. You are correct. So, this is not a yin and a yang, this is not another God who is some... Now, he is an angel, Um, he has gone evil, Um, therefore he also um, was the Lucifer of light, Um, a very powerful angel, more powerful, all the angels are more powerful than we are. Um, but, no, he's not like God, omnipresent, omniscient, all of kind of these other things. Uh, um, no, not at all. Um, no, there are many things we don't know about that. Um, I will tell you that most of the theologians, when they speak of the things, and again, this is based upon the scriptures and the way it speaks of those things, they usually liken uh, the devil's work to false doctrine, and particularly uh, the fighting that goes on against his church, which is the word, which is going against, you know, I, I, um, your, your individual sins can be forgiven. It is the sin against the Holy Ghost. It is the church. It is, you know, against ministers. It's against heretics and and false doctrine. That's where they put the devil's working, always. We tend to put the little devil on our shoulder, you know. um, I I, I think the concupiscence, you know what? Uh, If you didn't have a sinful nature and someone said, let's do that, you would be offended. No, I don't want to do this. But there is original sin in us. And what does that do? It looks at that and says, yeah, that's, that's appealing to me. So that's, you know, it, it is that that makes the temptations work. Well, I was just thinking, you know, as far as false doctrine and the, I, I think of it often as the world creeping into the church. It's like Satan uses the other two. I, I don't Yeah. <laughs> They just work together, like you've said before, they just work together and we don't know exactly when, do we? (laughs) True. Pastor? Well, if we go back to the garden, again, (laughs) he's the original false prophet. And how does he, he doesn't attempt, he doesn't say to Eve, whoa, whoa, look at that fruit, that's really good. He asks her, did God really say 
So he always attacks the word. That's what we're talking about. He always attacks God's word. The concupiscence takes care of all the rest of the sins in the world. We love to do them. And for the most part, we're ignorant about the word of God, so we don't know what God says anyway. So, St. Thomas Aquinas, those in the Middle Ages, said... Well, God gives you a little provenient grace, gets you started, and then you have to do what is within you. And they thought that was a good thing, because they thought, well, we don't have to do everything, just do the best that you can. Or the way they described it is, do what was within you. They did what they did what they always do. They forget to forget the scriptures. What does Jesus say in Matthew fifteen or fifteen eighteen? Is that it? Out of the heart proceeds. Out of the heart proceeds what? Good stuff? I don't think so. <laughs> well, and they're just agreeing with Satan in the garden, saying, "Did God really say you're you dead in trespasses and sin? You won't. Did do you really think that you'll die? You surely won't die." So, when the devil and the world, and we're going to put the sinful nature within us, which again, yes, that tempts us, got it. Uh, um, Are we able to stand against temptation? No. We're, We're completely unable to stand against this. In other words, it's coming at us, and we realize it, and we are not able to do that. When, and and if we do say no to sin, it's because of, because of God working through his word, um, that we're able to. If God withdraws from us, we've got nothing. Um, And so this, uh, having had the forgiveness of sins, with, with our fifth petition, now that we move on to the sixth petition, and what do we realize? We realize that, yes, we need what help against temptation. Um, God's not doing it, and that's why we're praying to him, lead us not into temptation. He says, of course, dear child, I would not do that. Um, uh, we could, you can flip it around. You can say, lead us not into temptation, or you can say to him, uh, uh, help us to stay in your word and, and believe and, and and do good works, you know, follow your, in, in life, uh, um, uh, lead a holy life. It's the same petition. It's just two sides of the same coin, um, which shows you just how ridiculous it is when the present Pope decides that he's going to change the words of the Lord's Prayer because he doesn't like that it said, lead us not into temptation. And so he, he changes it, you know, uh, um, I, really, um, Okay, last thing that goes with six petition uh, is this. That it may not deceive us or mislead us into what are the things that are a problem? False belief. You believe in stuff that isn't true. What happens if you trust in something that's not true? You'll be led astray. You surely die. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, if you trust in... You know, being saved by something that's not true, it won't save you. You know, if you trust, uh, uh, you know, that, that your car can run without gas, you know, just keep driving it. You'll find out. It doesn't work. Um, false belief. What's the next thing? Despair. Despair says, I give up. God would, I, the devil would like that. He would like for you to give up. Now, why would you despair? Because I'm looking to myself. But what does the Christian faith teach? That it's not of yourself. (laughs) I can't stand by myself. Right, it's not of myself. So this false belief, which would lead to despair, says, oh, now that I see what's against me, I can't do it. It's already left faith behind. False belief, despair, and finally, what's the last? Other great shame and vice. What's the problem with falling into sin? 
sin that is is shameful and is embarrassing and tears your reputation. We don't want to admit it. It's harder to admit and confess. And it can cause us to despair. It leads us to the first two things. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, in you know, falling into great shame, yeah, the problem is, is that then we lie to cover it up and, and we don't want to admit that that has happened. Um, granted. So Luther lists all of those things which can directly have an effect uh, upon the faith that we now have because we've had our, our trespasses forgiven. So what does the Lord do? When we are attacked by these things, does he take away the devil? Does he take away the world? No. Does he take away your sinful nature? No. No, but what does he do? Exactly. He gives us his word. He gives us the power and strength to resist temptation. But it always comes through faith in him. And he continues to provide it. Um, And thus, this petition leads us back to a reliance upon our God who does those things. Page 224. We'll begin our service of catechism. Please stand. O Lord, open my lips. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. Praise to you, O Christ, King who comes to save us. You may be seated. The reading is on the back of the bulletin. It's from Luke 21. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. This is God's Word. Your green sheet. The day is surely drawing near. The day is surely drawing near. 
When God's Son the anointed Shall with great majesty appear As judge of all appointed All earth and laughter then shall cease When flame on flames will still increase as they apostles teach a trumpet loud shall then resound, and all the earth be shaken. Then all who in their graves are found shall from their sleep awaken. But all that live shall live that hour by the Almighty's boundless power be changed at his commanding. A book is open then to all, a record truly telling. What each hath done, both great and small, when the earth was dwelling, and every heart be clearly seen, and all be known as they have been, in thoughts and words and passions. Then woe to those who scorn the Lord and sought but carnal pleasures, who here despised his precious word and loved their earthly treasures, with shame and trembling they will stand. At the judgment stand command to Satan be delivered. O Jesus, who my death is paid, and for my sin was smitten, within the book of life, O my name be also written. I will not doubt, I trust in thee. From Satan thou hast made me free, and from all condemnation. Therefore my intercessor be, and for thy bloody merit, declare my name from judgment free, with all who life inherit, that I may see thee face to face, with all thy saints in that blessed place, which thou for us hast purchased. O Jesus Christ, do not delay, but hasten our salvation. We often tremble on our way in fear and tribulation. Then hear us when we cry to Thee. Come, mighty Judge, and make us free from every evil. Amen. Amen. So Luke 21 begins talking about the signs that are coming. And what are the signs? Well, signs are going to be like the sun going out, turning to blood. The moon, blood dust uh, falling. The stars falling from the sky. Um, prior to this, there were some things that talked about the signs that were leading up to Jerusalem being destroyed. And we know about how the Christians got out of there. But, but these are signs about uh, the last 
days, the last time, signs that tell us the end. The end is here. So, all of these signs, and then you have the others, not just in the sky, but you've got uh, the sea and the waves, um, all that's coming. What are they, what's the connection between all of these, the signs that he's mentioning? What's happening? Entropy, I mean, Satan, chaos. In other words, God put everything together, six days, the water stays here, the land stays here. He he set everything up in an organized fashion, and there's a foundation and the things, you know, the sun regularly comes up and regularly goes down. It's not going to, it's all falling apart. The natural order goes away. Correct. And it's the result of the fallen world through time. It gets worse and worse. It does. It does. And so, because we know that the Lord can return at any time, we're not pre-millennials where you have a thousand years and you have this and whatever, which would let you go, ah, yeah, he's not coming yet because that hasn't started. So I'll just go on. No, every age can look at the degeneration of society, the world, can look at the... Uh, um, natural disasters that come and go, whoa, wait a minute, something's out of whack, and I think the end is coming. That's what this is to let us know, so that every time you look at this and kind of go, I thought this was you know, a stable place. I thought that this was everything that there is. Guess what? Knock, knock. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's coming to an end. Um, and so, when this happens, what's going to be the response? Men's hearts failing them. When they see what's coming, the fear that it brings up, well, why would men's hearts fail and why would there be... It shows who we're trusting in and reminds us, don't be doing that. Right, right. For the Christian, for the God's children. For God's children, there's not that. But for these others, Risden? Well, it's, it's talking about exactly false beliefs. They'll attach them, believe in false beliefs, and despair at the end of the world, the end of our temporal existence. So if you know that that if you know that the uh, hurricane is coming, what do you do? Prepare. You prepare. You, you put plywood up on your windows, and you, you know you you collect some water and you get ready. When you know that the end is coming, <laughs> the problem is is that all my preparations. You know, what can I do? Can't do anything. I can't do anything, right. And my beliefs no longer provide any hope concerning this. So this will be the undoing. I can't, you know, I mean, I, I, I think I, you know, I can't even keep my car from rusting. You know, how do you think I'm going to keep the world from falling apart? Um, impossible. And so this is what is coming. Verse 27. Then they, so we got who's they? Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Well, everyone, including those whose hearts are despairing and, and whatever, everyone will see him. Well, how is this going to work? Um, there, there's people. Buried on the other side of the earth. We don't know. Yeah, you know. Televised. Yeah, no. We don't know. I, I mean, if the Lord who made this, I'm sure he can work that out as well. But, yeah, they all will see him. Um, and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud. Go through the scriptures, take a look about the Lord who comes in a cloud. Um, 
this ethereal, this thing from somewhere else, um, and, and, and about that, that, that someone could ride a cloud. Um, it lets you know about the Almighty's uh, uh, power um, that he has, and that no longer coming on a donkey, he's coming on, you know, the Milky Way, the ethereal clouds, the, that which is above and beyond. And, not in humility, he's coming in great power and great glory. And when he comes, when these things begin to happen, now, if everyone else is in despair and their hearts are fainting and they know, what are the believers to do? Look up. Lift up your heads. Because... It's time. For what? We get to go home. We get to go home. We get to be redeemed. We get our, you know, uh, um, our, our present. We get that reward which the Lord has promised us, which he won for us, which he has told us all along, and we go, great. Um, so, how does the scriptures do this? It presents to us the most... Uh, um, I don't want to go with I don't want to go with like positive and negative or optimistic and pessimistic. I'm going to just say it tells us the realistic way of this world, and it presents it just as it is, not with rosy, not with worse than, but here's the way it truly is. And then it presents to us so that when the believers hear this, they don't despair. But they look and say, ah, but my home is not there, it's here. And the Lord is coming back. And this is a sign that what's going on here doesn't go on forever. It will be brought to an end. Lift up, draw near, your redemption is near. He has a parable. He talks about the trees. Outside, do the trees have green leaves on them? Uh, right now, why not? They all fell off. They're blown around in my uh, uh, backyard, right? Is summer near? Not even close. It's winter. But when it starts to bud, then you know it's time. All of these signs are to let us know that the end is nearer now than it was before. It's coming. Oh, and so when we see these things, we ought to look forward. Not, don't look at the destruction. Don't look at that. Look forward to what the Lord is bringing about, that uh, uh, he's going to take care of this. When you see these things happen, know that the kingdom of God is near. Now, normally, when we speak about the kingdom of God, we normally are talking about the church. But this is one of those instances where the kingdom of God is talking about the church triumphant. It's talking about the church being uh, uh, translated to heaven and that heavenly glory. So uh, uh, know that the kingdom of God is near. Verse 32. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away Till all things take place. Hmm. And then we get with verse 33, the things that do pass away and don't pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my, but my words will by no means pass away. This generation, when Luke spoke when Luke wrote these, when Jesus said these words and Luke records them, Jesus is speaking to his church, his believers. And when he says that just generation will by no means pass away till all things, till all things take place, they might have initially thought that it was what? Their little, literal generation. In other words, they might have thought, listen, it's the people that are here right now, you know. Um, in other words, Jesus will be back within the lifetime 
uh, will be back. And so don't worry, you're not going to die until Jesus comes back. Was he speaking about the remnant of the Christian faith? Is what now? Was he speaking about the remnant of believers? You know, and so this generation, I've often explained it in terms of we are born again. We are regenerated. We are given new birth. And so this kind of, God does promise us that the church will exist until he returns. It will not go away. Even the gates of hell will not go against it. Well, that's what this is talking about. The church is going to last. And to have a church, you have to have people in it. Yeah. So there's always going to be Christians. This is the generation of Christians. Right. And we're living in it. The making of. What now? The making of. The making of. So that when, with that that interpretation, the very next line teaches us what? We need to be sure that if something is passing away, heaven and earth, what do you do? You don't hold on to that. Um, That's, that will, you will pass away with it if that's what you're trusting in, anything of this heaven and earth. They're talking about heaven as in the heavens. As in the heavens, like like Genesis where it said, create the heavens and the earth. So yes, all creation, not the boat of, yeah. of the believers. Good, good, thank you. Um, but what does he say does not pass away? My words. My words. And so what do we cling to? The words, because they give us eternal life. They are eternal words that give us eternal life. We cling to those things that do not pass away. Um, in that way, you might say, we are saved, we are redeemed, we are taken care of. Um, I read today something I hadn't uh, uh, considered before. And I, I just don't know what to make of it yet. I need to study some more on it. Um, this author uh, was looking at all that was said before about uh, um, the unbelievers and the persecution and everything against it. And when he got to this one, he said, the generation that will not pass away, you might think that uh, uh, the unbelieving Jews who were persecuting the Christians, that they would finally cease. And he says, Jesus says, no, that generation is always going to be with you. They'll not pass away till finally the end. In other words, Christian church, be ready. You will always have unbelievers with you. Um, and that would point us to look forward to the coming of Christ. I don't know. i got to look at that. Um, it, it, it tends to point back to what went before and, and even before verse 25, uh, where this one points forward. I, I, I can see it, but I, I don't know for sure. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Verse 34, take heed to yourselves, therefore. In other words, watch yourself, consider yourself, because there are things that can get in the way. What happens that keeps us from holding on to the word, carousing, drunkenness, um, worries of this life, the cares of this life. Um, and then that day will come and you won't expect it. No, believers are expecting it. We're wanting it. We're wishing it coming. We're saying, come Lord Jesus. We don't want it to come upon us as a, a snare. And so what do we do? We gather in service that we might watch and pray always uh, to escape these things which are to come. Um, the Lord is the one who, by his word, makes us worthy to receive eternal life. He gives us, forgives us our sins and, and gives us uh, all that we need. Questions? Get out your blue sheet. We'll conclude with our prayers for this evening. We've got the responsive prayer for catechesis, which gives us the first three parts, and then we have Psalm 107. Please stand. Holy God, holy and most gracious Father, 
mercy and hear us. You shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We'll chant responsibly. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also, assembly of the people, and praise him in the company of the elders. He turns rivers into a wilderness, and the water springs into dry ground. He turns a wilderness into pools of water and dry ground into water springs. Then he makes a hungry well, that he makes a delicious city for a dwelling place. And so fields and plant vineyards, that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them, and they multiply greatly, and he does not let their cattle decrease. Whoever is wise will observe these things, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. The Lord be with you. And 
with your spirit. Let us pray. Stir up our hearts, O Lord, to make ready the way of your only begotten Son, so that by his coming we may be enabled to serve you with pure minds. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The final petition. O God, who has sounded into our ears thy divine and salutary oracles, illuminate the souls of us sinners to the comprehension of that which has been read, so that we may not only be seen to be hearers of spiritual things, but doers of good works, following after faith without guile, blameless life, conversation without charge of guilt, in Christ Jesus our Lord, with whom thou art blessed, with thy most holy and good and quickening spirit, now and ever, and to ages of ages. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord bless us, defend us from all evil, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen.